Hey everyone, this is Jaron Hollis with the Believer's Church. I'm so happy that you're here today. I want to thank you for tuning in and listening to this message. I pray that it inspires you, it challenges you, and it helps you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy. Welcome to Believer's. We are so glad you're here. We had an amazing 915 service. Uh, Super excited about that. Everybody say, next Sunday, Baptism Sunday. I'm, I'm so pumped. I think, I think in the last 60 days or so, we've baptized over 70 people. Come on, we ought to give the Lord a great big hand clap offering. I need you to do me a favor. I know we have been standing. You're going to go, oh, he's going to have us stand one more time. I am. I'm going to ask you to stand up because I've got something I want to tell you very quickly. Would you stand up? Many of you know that we are a church that likes to be generous around the holidays and giving as much as we can. Uh, many of you pitched in. Um, we, we brought in shopping bags full of groceries. Uh, each shopping bag was to contain enough food to feed a family of four for Thanksgiving. We were hoping to hit somewhere around 80. We served 143 families of four. Come on, man. You guys are amazing. Give yourself a great big hand. That's amazing. Thank you. You may be seated. We're so glad. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Did you get enough to eat? Man, I, I've got to be honest about it and admit I love pecan pie. And my wife uh, made a pecan pie and, or, or bought one. I'm not sure which, which it was, but she's giving me that evil eye now. I, my, my wife made it. It was amazing. Amazing. No, I, 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 I just kept eating and kept eating. And there was one piece left, and I, I saw Renee watching me. I was going for that one piece, right? And so she tried to use a little psychology on me. She said, Randy Hollis, if you eat that last piece, you're going to blow up. I said, slide it toward me and back off. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I know. I'll keep my day job. I don't need to be a comedian. So good to have you in the house of God. So thrilled for you to be here. We had a lot of fun in the first service. I believe we're going to have fun again. Um, everybody say, I was made for this. I have been working on this message for the last uh, three to five weeks, spent quite a bit of time in prayer over it, seeking the face of God, asking God to help me deliver a timely word. And um, what do I mean by I was made for this? I mean you were made for the time in which you now live. Our lives are designed in light of the times and culture in which we live. Um, I want to start it out this way. Most of us cannot go back to the very first thought we had about ourselves. Uh, There was something previous to the thought that you had about yourself, and I'll go one step further and say that there was something previous thought about you before your parents were even born. I want you to stay with that for just a moment. It was a thought that God had about you. This text that we're using in the book of Jeremiah, um, it came to Jeremiah in the middle of national destruction. Why am I bringing it to you now? I'm bringing it to you because Israel is under attack. And America is very close to getting into a world war. I'm not trying to alarm you, but uh, there are a lot of threats being made. 
And uh, we're, we're, we're in uncertain times. We're in perilous times. We really are. And I don't know if you realize that, but I, I started looking for somebody that would understand what my feelings have been lately about, are, is America even going to stand over the next 10 years? Will, will, will America, as I knew it growing up, is almost completely gone? What will it look like five years from now? And I found that Jeremiah lived and prophesied during very similar situations in the 6th century B.C. He, he lived in the days leading up to the destruction of Judah, complete destruction, and he watched the people being carried away to Babylon. And I want you to keep that in mind. He, he wasn't even privileged to stay in his own country. He watched them being carried away. And uh, he lived in the wake of this tragic event. So God starts speaking to Jeremiah as a major prophet. And God speaks to him. And in Jeremiah 1 and 5, it says this. And this is from the New Living Translation. So it says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophets look to the nations. He, he said, look, I know you love Judah. I know you love Jerusalem. I know you love your country, but I'm calling you to something bigger. The question is, is what if God is having thoughts right now that are bigger than America? Than apple pie and Thanksgiving. And Christmas and all the things that we so love to be involved in and, and so, so many things that are in our culture that we love. We love our freedom. We love it. But what if that gets taken away in light of God's plan? I know some of you are already dialing me out. You know, America first Christians, they're dialing me out. They're like, oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. We're to pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not, I love America. I'm praying for America. But... First and foremost, I'm to pray for his kingdom to come. And not just come over America, but come all over the world. Amen. Our calling is bigger than America. I want you to listen to the same passage. This is from the message translation. It says this. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had what? Holy plans for you. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's got holy plans for you. So this message is, is, is leaving my lips at a moment when there is great distress in Israel and also in America. Am I anti-Semitism running all across our college campuses? And, and I just want to remind many of you that as many Jews were killed in the Holocaust, a million, six million Jews being killed in the Holocaust. There were many Christians that died right along with them. You don't hear much about it, but there were many, many, many Christians that died right along with them. And so I just want to tell you and give you a heads up that that spirit that hates Jerusalem and hates the Jews also hates Christians. And they're marching all over college campuses, and we really don't know where this distress is going to end. But... Um, we do know that Israel has suffered an unprovoked attack on unarmed citizens, and I want you to be in mind of that. And one of the most troublesome periods in Hebrew history was during the lifetime of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah lived in troubled times, and he lived a troubled life because he lived through crushing storms. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong at that time in his young life. 
and he was right in the middle of it. It's kind of where we find ourselves. We're entering into and living in what appears to be one of the most troublesome periods in the history of the world. The Bible calls it perilous times. So before I go any further, I just want to yell, hey, stop. Just stop for a moment. Has anyone ever asked you, do you realize that you're right where you're supposed to be in space and time? You think, man, there's all kinds of trouble in our world. There's all kinds of trouble in our government. Can I, just, can I just go on record of saying there's all kinds of corruption in our government? Is that all right for me to say? I know I'm a preacher and I'm not supposed to talk about the government. I, at least that's what they've brainwashed you to believe is that I don't have a right to say anything. But I think it's kind of strange that somebody can go to Washington, D.C. Uh, on a salary of about $200,000 and in five to ten years they're worth $25 million. How does that happen? But do you realize that you're right where you're supposed to be in space and time? You may feel that you don't belong here on this angry earth, but you do. Not only do you belong on this angry earth at this specific time, but you've got an assignment that God is ready to give you to where you will have an impact on a lost and dying world and you will be a light in a very dark place and you will be salt that brings a little flavor to the meat. You see, anyone who lives in disruptive times should look for a companion. What do you mean by that? I'm talking about you, you should look for somebody that's already lived through difficult times and see how they made it. And that's why I love this book is because it gives you such heroes. And so... We need not only to know that they made it, but we need to know how they made it through. And if we're wise enough to look for such a companion or champion, we need to look no further. I'm bringing you two such champions today, and one is Jeremiah, and the other one is just the good old-fashioned Holy Ghost. All right? And so we need both. We need to understand some direction from Jeremiah. Jeremiah has got a word for us today to speak to people that are living in troubled times. And the Holy Ghost will help you in the midst of troubled times. As a matter of fact, if God be for us, come on, you know how to finish it. If God be for us, who can be against us? So I want you to remember our text as we move forward. Here's what it says again. Before I shaped you in the womb, and I'm, I, I'm talking to every person in this building. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the first light of day, I had holy plans for you. Stop right here. Receive this word of God in faith. Please repeat after me. I want you to look at this next one. I want you to understand how the Word of God works. This is Jeremiah 1.5 personalized. They're going to put it up for you, and I want you to read with me. One, two, three, go. Before he shaped me in the womb, he knew all about me. Before I saw the light of day, he had holy plans for me. What are you doing there? You are, you are putting yourself in the Scripture, and you are admitting that God has a design over your life. This is how the Word of God comes alive. This is how the Word of God, and I'll get into this in just a little bit. This is how the Word of God is activated, is when you personalize a Scripture. This is, this is how I've been in the ministry for all these years and never given up, is because I keep personalizing His promises to me. When, when circumstances don't look good, I just keep personalizing the promises that God has for me. 
Right? Next, we must accept this truth. You were designed in light of the times. Can you sense his holy or eternal plans for you? Do you ever feel that? Do you ever just go in through the day and you feel like, man, I know I've got to do something. I know God, God doesn't make junk. He's called me to the kingdom. If you're here today, it's no mistake. If you're here today, it's no coincidence. God sets you up to be here, to be encouraged, to believe that there's something great for you to do. You see, God shapes each of us. Everybody say shapes. God shapes each of us for an eternal purpose, and he begins right where we are. Everybody say right here, right now. Look to your neighbor. Say forget about your past. I don't care about your pedigree. I don't care if you're ugly. No, don't say that part. Don't say that part. Don't say that part. Okay? Don't do that. All right? We'll flip that around. I don't care if you're cute. Right? He'll start right where you are. It doesn't matter your pedigree. It doesn't matter your history. It doesn't matter your level of education. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter. He's got a plan to do great things through you. But you've got to activate that. You've got to activate that. Turn to your neighbor and say, activate it. So let me deal with a couple of things first. We'll get there. If I had to pick a one-word question that hangs over every human being every day of our lives, it would be the following word. You ready? Put it up there. Useful? Are you useful? You see, we all rub shoulders with a lot of people who aren't useful. I rub shoulders with people that are busy. Yeah, they're busy, but they're not useful. I rub shoulders with people that are talented and very talented. Yes, I recognize their talent, but they're just not useful. I rub shoulders with people that are successful in the eyes of the world, and I'm thankful that they're successful, but are they useful? You see, are you useful in the eyes of eternity? And for many people, for many Christians, please hear me. I'm trying to be as kind as I can be, but for many Christians, it's sadly no. Sadly no. So the question looms large. In whose hands do we find ourselves? Serious, serious moments like when I go to the hospital and somebody's near death, and I've done that probably a couple of hundred times in 45 years, gone to the hospital. And, and, and here's the comment that I get all the time when somebody is on life support and, and they're on a breathing machine and if you unplugged everything, they probably wouldn't live more than 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And the family comes up to me and says, oh, pastor, it's all in God's hands now. I don't know how many times I've heard that. Oh, pastor. You can hear the machines beeping. I'm holding on to a limp and lifeless hand on the bed, and somebody will come up and pat me on the shoulder and say, Oh, Pastor, it's all in his hands now. I don't know how many times I've wanted to whirl around and point my finger at them and say, No, it's always been in his hands. So I'm going to ask the question again, in whose hands do we find ourselves? In whose hands? God said, I shaped you in the womb for a purpose and a plan. 
I put something great deep down on the inside of you. You're just not a random vessel. You're a chosen vessel. And I chose you to change the world. Secondly, if you've given yourself to the master potter, listen to the question carefully. If you've given yourself to the master potter, are there impurities embedded in you that resist his shaping hand? If you can imagine, why don't you go ahead downstairs and put that picture up of the pot. There you go. Thank you so much. Was it already up there? They, they, all right. So here it is. They, they, they've got the wheel and it's spinning and they take clay and they put it on there. And this is, this is what God showed Jeremiah. He, 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 he said, you're like clay on the potter's wheel. I just want to remind you before we go any further that we all rub shoulders with people that are not eternally useful. They are failures of large proportions and their lives are completely out of balance and there's not much use in the hands of the potter or on the potter's wheel. Let me just say it this way. They're wobbly, they're unstable, and they're undependable. What do I mean by that? There's there's so much self in the clay. There's so much, and let me use this word, but, but there's so many selfish desires and fleshly desires in the clay that as the wheel is spinning and the potter's trying to shape it, he already knows how he wants to make your life. He wants to make you a very beautiful vessel that he can put in the curio cabinet of faith and turn the light on just like he did for Noah and Moses and Abraham and Sarah. He wants to make that vessel, but... But is there impurities in your clay that when the wheel starts rotating and he adds the water and he starts gently forming you that there's a bump in in the clay and it's causing the vessel to become misshapen? So please forgive me all of you wokesters that do not like less attractive words. But as the potter's wheel spins, is there something self-willed in you that causes your vessel to not be true? Is there, some, is there an intentional waywardness in your life that causes you not to spin true on the wheel? Is there outright rebellion in your life? Well, if you're like me, the answer is yes. Sadly so. Look, this building is almost packed to capacity, and this is the second service. I hope you're not following me because you think I'm perfect. You're following the wrong guy. I've had to climb back on the potter's wheel many more times than you can imagine. I've had to examine the clay that God's got to work with in my own life. I know that these last few words that I've spoken about self-willed, intentional waywardness, and outright rebellion, I know they're striking images for clay on a potter's wheel. 
But I'm here to remind you that he didn't give up on the clay. He didn't throw away that which was misshapen. This is the message today, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. He didn't throw the clay. He didn't try working on it once or twice, and then he says, oh, I can't use this match, and he throws it in the field of forgetfulness. No, he takes that clay. He puts it back on the table. He pounds it back out again. He reworks the clay. He puts it back on the wheel. He adds more water, and he spins the wheel again. Is there anybody here thankful that God is spinning the wheel again? What are you saying? I'm saying he's not done with you in Jesus' name. I'm talking to somebody that thinks it's too late. It's not too late for you. He's ready to spin the wheel if you're ready to let him. But you've got to let him examine the clay. You've got to let him examine the material of your life. The misshapen, the resistant, the unyielding. Because if he finds it, he's got to stop the wheel and rework the clay over and over again. Here are three questions that everyone should ask themselves. These are difficult questions, but I want you to hear me carefully. I wish I'd have had them put these up as slides, but here's the first question. Have we traded his glory for empty flesh dreams? Have we traded his glory? I'll never forget, I was invited to Madison, Wisconsin to open a church dedication, a church of about 700. I'd preached many revivals there. I was already pastor here, and they called me, and they said, look, we know you're busy as a pastor, but would you please, would you please come and do our church dedication? And I'll never forget standing on the platform I, I know I may lose you, and, and I'm going to tell you before I tell you the story that I was extremely shocked at what happened, but I'm preaching, and as I'm preaching, I make a statement, and I breathe in and breathe out, and when I'm breathing out, I don't know how to explain this other than to say it, I felt a heavy anointing akin to the glory of God rolling out of my mouth, literally rolling over my bottom lip, down my chin, and dripping off my chin. While I was speaking, I, I felt a heavy manifest presence of God. The Bible says he chose the foolishness of preaching. I felt it coming out of my mouth, and I thought, did that really just happen? Now, I'm in front of hundreds and hundreds of people. I, I said in my mind, did that really just happen? So I took another deep breath and breathed out, and I felt it come rolling out again. And about that time, the power of God hit me. The Word of God hit me, and I turned around, and I ran to the pastor. And listen, they're dedicating a brand-new building. He's sitting in a wing-back chair. I run up to him, and I slap him on the chest. And I said, you built too small. What a great thing to say at a church dedication. <laughs> you built too small. Your faith wasn't big enough. You're going to have to build again. You could have heard a mouse squeak in that building when I said it. But as the years have gone by, they had to start with new blueprints and build a bigger building. I felt what it feels like to stand in the glory of God and be used in a powerful way. And the question is, is have we traded his glory for empty flesh dreams? That'll stop the potter's wheel every time. Have we been dominated by appetite and impulse? Am I the only one that's been dominated by appetites in the flesh 
and carried the wrong way? Am I alone? Have, am I the only one that have committed to God that I'm going to live my whole life for Him only to get detoured by impulse? Somebody help this preacher. Am I the only impulsive person here? Somebody help me. Here's the last question. Have our lives become empty of commitment, meaning, and purpose? Are we just living for the weekend? Are we just going through the motion? Or do we really believe that God has a plan over our life and we speak to that every day? I'm telling you that we're living in times where we need to be reminded that we're not a mistake in a country. That whether dad and mom meant to have me or not, it doesn't matter. It was on the plan and the calendar of the Almighty God. While I was in the womb. Man, for those of you that don't know my story, I wish to God I could tell you about my calling to Louisville, Kentucky. What I can tell you is it came 12 years before I moved here. Pastor, are you telling me that God spoke to you about this church 12 years before you came? Yes, I don't know how he looked in the future and saw it, but he did. I'll go further than that. Before I was born, he knew I would be the pastor here. And he saw all you great people sitting right where you're sitting and asking the question, do you believe me to use you to change the world? Do you believe me? Can you stay on the potter's wheel long enough And be honest enough to admit that there's some impurities in your clay that need to be moved out of the way so that I can get all the glory and all the honor out of your life. Because I want you to know that it's in troubled time that God shines. I want you to know that it's in the deepest darkness that his light shines the brightest. I want you to know that it's in perilous times that his children rise up and be called anointed and blessed. God is ready to show his mighty arm to the nations, but he needs people to do it. But are we Christians living a God-defiant lifestyle? Our way is better. Our appetite is better. Our needs are better. I'm so tired of the Randy Hollis detours. I'm speaking today to those of you who already know that fraudulent detours will pick you clean. He only sends you, the enemy only sends you down that road so he can have his way with you. Forgive me for what I'm about to say. This is an adult Bible study class. The enemy will send you on a detour so he can get you on some dark side road and molest you. Steal all your hope, steal all your dreams, and then condemn you and blame you for going the wrong way. I don't know if the devil has ever taken you down the wrong road and then kicked you while you were down. I've been there on more than one occasion. The accuser of the brethren. So the question today, the burning question is, Where do I start, Pastor? Where do I start? Here's a tough statement. Pull you up by the bootstrap. Get your big boy pants on. Here we go. Jeremiah told the exiles in Babylon, 
If all you do is sit around and long for Jerusalem, your present lives will be squalid and empty. Tough word. Oh, pastor, I'm just waiting for a better day. I don't like the way politics are going in America. I don't like where America's going. I'll just hope for a better day. No, no, no. Jeremiah said, if all you do is sit around and long for Jerusalem, your present lives will be squalid and empty. Squalid means wretched, miserable, and degraded. The aim of following Christ, oh, listen to this statement. When I wrote this, I thought, oh me, the aim of following Christ isn't to be as comfortable as possible. It's to live as fully as possible. Can I repeat that? The aim of following Christ isn't to be as comfortable as possible. It's to live as fully as possible. Don't just survive, thrive. Thrive. I want it to be said of me that God carefully placed me in space and time and was able to use me for his glory. Jeremiah also told the exiles, this is scary, but this is what he told them. They were in Babylon. He said, you aren't camping. This is your home. God's got some things he needs to work out. I know, I know, I know you don't want to be in Babylon. I, don't know, I know you don't want to live among foreigners and speak a foreign language, but you need to go ahead and dig foundations and build houses and develop the best environment for living that you can. So can I just tell you, whether or not America gets better, whether, whether the price of bread and milk and everything else and gas keep going up and up and up and we become even more miserable and there's just not enough money to go around and on and on and on. Listen, just keep building the kingdom of God. Just keep building the kingdom of God. There are three things that you need to do to become stronger. One is to confess what does the word confess mean? It should be coming up to own or admit as true. You've got to be honest with Have I really been willing to live for him? Am I living for him every day? Or am I living my own life and just trying to include him? Number two, repent. The word repent means to do a 180. It means to do a turnaround. It means a new course of thinking or and action. Look at Acts 3 and 19 with me from the New International Version. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. I'm not, I'm not up here judging you and saying you need to repent. No, no, no. You misunderstand what I'm trying to do here. I, I'm trying to show you the power of repentance. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of what? Come on, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Look, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, make an about face. Say, God, you know why you made me. Go ahead and make me what I ought to be. Go ahead, mold me the way you want to mold me. Bend me the way you want to bend me. Shape me the way you say I should be shaped. So many of us are trying to shape ourselves on the potter's wheel when we have the master in action, trying to shape our lives and tell us, I know what to make of you. Number three, cast off. Refuse to let the enemy to continue to use destructive words or events against us. Is there anybody besides Randy Hollis that does negative self-talk? Are you there? Have you ever been there? (sighs) 
I, I can have an incredible win in my life. doesn't matter what it is. I can have an incredible win in my life, and I can hear a negative voice in my head trying to steal the win before I even get home. Am I alone? I need three people to stand up right now and say, I'm good looking and I'm adorable. <laughs> Go ahead, Jesse. No, not me. Stand up and say about yourself, I'm good looking and I'm adorable. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Danny. Come on. I'm good looking and I'm adorable. Love yourself. You know what? Listen, here's, here's a big problem with Christians today. You've been trying to shape your... You, you've been watching too much TV, and you're trying to shape your life according to what you see on TV, and what you see on TV isn't reality in the first place. Is that all right? It's not. <clears throat> okay. Are you listening to me? Okay. And you're busy shaping yourselves to something that you think you want to be, that you think will make you happy. And God is saying, I want to shape you into what I know will completely shake the world. Anybody here want to shake the world with the pastor? And anybody know that something incredible is happening at Believer's Church here in Louisville? And I, I don't believe it's just for us so we can say we're full and we're excited and we're happy about what's going on. I believe that God is doing something at Believer's Church so that we can shake all of Louisville and maybe even the state. Thank you so very much for the golf clap, and I mean that. I, I, that, that nice little, okay. But if you really believe that, there'd be a roar come out of this building that, that we couldn't contain. If you really believe that God, if you really, God's looking for a church. God's looking for a people. God is saying, let me use you. Let me mold you. Let me make you. Let me, let me get all the knots out. Let me put you on the wheel one more time. Let me put you on the wheel one more time. I'm not done with you yet. Why don't you tell that stupid devil to shut up? Why don't you just tell that voice in your head that it's not over? Why don't you just tell that, that negative self-talk that it's a lie from the pits of hell and that God doesn't make junk? And if God be for me, who can be against me? You need to tell the enemy that you're about to rise up one more time and be blessed. Refuse to let the enemy continue to use destructive words. Then you need to become proactive. Use God's word against current circumstances. You know what I happen to be real good at is repeating negative circumstances. Anybody else good at that? I probably have been doing it so long I've almost got a master's degree. Something negative happened. I repeat the negative. I ought to be speaking the word of God over the negative. And I ought to be declaring the right answer instead of just echoing what's going on. Why would I even validate what's going on? Why don't I rise up and say, you know what? If God be for me, who can be against me? And you know what? God's going to take this message, this mess and give me a message. He's going to take this test and give me a testimony. You know, you don't have a message until you've had a mess. And you don't have a testimony until you've had a test. And you're not an overcomer if you never go through anything. And if your goal is to make yourself as comfortable as possible in this troubled world, you've got the wrong goal. 
Your goal is to take him by the hand and say, look, I know that you set me up to live in this very turbulent time because you want to do something great through me. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is quick and powerful. Now, I only had them put that part of Hebrews 4.12 up in the King James Version. How many times have we heard that the word of God is quick and powerful? I want you to look from the ESV because it says something different. The word of God is living and active. Now, if you're a note taker, write down the word active. If you're taking notes, write down the word active. Put Hebrews 4.12 and then put the word active. You see, the Greek word for powerful also equally means active. So what does that mean? You see, I need to ask you this question before I answer that. What determines if the words in the Bible are alive and activated in your life? What determines that? How do you know if the Word of God is alive and activated in your life? I'm going to give you a scripture that proves it's not always true. Matter of fact, I can tell you right now that there are people under the sound of my voice and the word of God that I'm preaching right now. Please, I'm not trying to be cruel. This is just a fact. This is just a fact. There are people under the sound of my voice right now and the word of God is not going to do anything for them today because they're not going to activate it. They don't know how to activate it. So I'm going to try to show you how to activate the word of God in your life. I'm going I'm I'm to try to show you how to take this book, which is alive and powerful. I'm going to try to show you how to activate it. I'm not insulting you. If you think I'm insulting you because I say the Word of God won't mean anything to you today or, or be beneficial for you today, all I'm trying to challenge you to believe is that there's a way for the Word of God to be activated. And if you don't know it, I'm trying to make you hungry so you know how to activate the Word. Somebody say, help me activate it, Pastor. All right, thank you. Let me give you some insight as to how to act- activation works. Look at Hebrews 4 and 2. I'm going to make a point here, English Standard Version. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Ow. Wow. I don't want to be in that crowd. If a word is spoken, I want it to benefit me. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. In other words, you've got to have faith to activate the word. Are you with me? You know what? This is, this is basics 101. What I'm telling you right now is not some secret revelation, but it's become lost in America. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying when we mix our faith with the word of God, if we believe God is, hear me, this is the faith. If we believe that God is speaking to us, And his promises are for us. The word becomes alive and it becomes activated in us. Everybody say this to your neighbor. Say, this word is for me today. The very first time I saw that in action. For the new people, you've never heard it. But for those of you who have been here a long time, this is about the 30th or 40th time you've heard it. I was nine years old. My mom and dad got a divorce. My family was completely devastated. My mom was working two jobs. My dad was working two jobs. My dad was gone, and I saw my mom real late at night or real early in the morning. That's the only time I saw her. Got myself ready for school. I'm not trying to get you to feel sorry for me, but I was a latchkey kid. Raised myself in many ways. There was a family that saw my family 
self-destruct and they went to a little church that my parents used to go to before they backslid. And they came by on a Wednesday night and picked me up for church. I think I was the only one that, that in my family that got in the car and went with them. They drove me down to the little Pentecostal church and the preacher was preaching about the day that we live in. Now remember, I'm, I'm nine years old. He's preaching about this day. And he says, there's, there's going to be perilous times that come. And, and he started talking about the tribulation. And he, he said, during the tribulation, there will be beasts that come that look like locusts, have the face of a man, and when they sting you, it will be like the bite of a lion, and it will hurt for six months. So I'm listening to this, and I'm putting myself in that dilemma. I'm thinking, oh, man, there's going to be these things flying around that look like locusts, and they'll have the face of a man, and when they're stinger, when they sting you, it'll be like the bite of a lion, and it'll hurt for six months. And I'm, I'm picturing a lion biting me and, and how bad it would hurt, and then the hurt wouldn't go away for six months. So in my little nine-year-old mind, I said, I didn't say it out loud, I said, if that happens, I'll dig a deep hole and stick a steel door over it. And I'll never forget my pastor was walking like this, preaching. He was doing this with his arms. And he stopped, and he turned around, and he started heading back, and he stopped right over my chair, pointed his finger right over my head and said, and you won't dig no deep hole and stick a steel door over it either. What was God doing? Was God trying to scare me? No. He was trying to activate his word in my life. He was saying, Randy, I know where you're at. I know what you're going through. But my word is for you. Can I tell you right now in Jesus' name that if you're here and you're listening to this preacher, you didn't waste your time today? The only way you'll waste your time if you think that I'm talking to somebody else and not you. Oh, man, the pastor's given a pretty good word today. I hope whoever it is gets it. <laughs> Have you ever done that? I've done that, and I don't know how many times. There was no activation that day. No activation. Turn to your neighbor and say, this word is for you today. So the word needs a catalyst. And that catalyst is your faith. As I close, I leave you with three powerful references to turn your life around. Here are three structural statements. Hear me. They're structural Picture two by sixes, two by fours. This is the skeleton that needs to go up so God can finish the work of art that has your name on it. Here are the three structural statements to start building on. Put the first one up. Can you see that? I want everybody to read out loud with me. Out loud. Ready? For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and and self-discipline. You need to take that, put it on a three-by-five card, put it on a refrigerator magnet, put it on your refrigerator, and read that out loud every day so that you do not become timid in the times that we are facing. He's given you not a spirit of fear, not a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline, or as other translations say, a sound mind. Put the next one up, please. Are you ready? 
I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Everybody say, more than conquerors. Say it like you mean it. More than conquerors. Okay, you need to understand that you can't conquer until you go through something. You've got to go through something to conquer. You can't just lay around in the recliner and call yourself a conqueror. You have to face something. I want you to understand, all hell does not like it that you're here today, but we don't care what hell doesn't like. We're going to rise up and be all that we can be for the kingdom of God, the glory of God, and we're going to activate the word of God by applying it to our own lives. Our own lives. This last one I love. It's one of my favorites. Probably because it's the easiest. Put it up there. I'm going to count to three again. Let's say this one loud. One, two, three. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You start saying that about yourself. I can do all things. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, yes, I can. You just watch me. You just watch me and see if I can do it. I can do all things. I can do all things. Are you with me? You have to believe that. If, if, you have to believe that if God is there helping you, there's nothing you can't do. All right? My wife knows that I'm not normal. You see her shaking her head. He's not, no, he's not normal. Let me say this. I'm not average. I don't say that boastfully. I say I'm not average because I've been filled with the power of God. That makes me, I'm not normal, I'm super normal. I'm not natural, I'm supernatural. Okay? So I'm not going to act like most 67-year-old people act. Because God has put a spirit in me that is renewed daily. I, I know that the flesh is getting older, but I got a spirit in me that's renewed every day. So there, I've got a right to claim some youthfulness, right? I'm trying to help some of you old timers. You need to be going with me. You need to be standing up and saying, that's right, pastor. So here it is. I called for the grace of God to come on the first service, and I'm telling you, there was a powerful move of God in the altar. It was incredible. So here it is. Are there any lumps in your clay? Are there any self-willed lumps? Are there any self-reservation lumps? Are there, are there any God-defiant lumps where you say, I think I know better how to make myself than God? There's going to be grace here this morning. Great grace. God, hear me. God. I just heard somebody say it's too late for me. You are so wrong. Little is much when God is in it. Where there is breath, there is hope. Right? Where there's breath, there's hope. Let me give you the good news. God is waiting and has been waiting for a very long time to start the potter's wheel again in your life. But there needs to be some honesty. Don't you let the devil call you a hypocrite for coming forward. Don't you do it. 
Say, no, I'm just being honest that I can be self-willed at times. I, I, I just need to be honest and say that I have the gift of stubbornness at times. Am I the only one? Is there anybody here that's resisted the potter's hand while you're on the wheel? I want you to see what God showed Jeremiah. Even though he had to shut the potter's wheel down on more than three or four occasions, he never threw the lump of clay into the field of forgetfulness. He always put the lump of clay back on the table and reworked it and got all the lumps out. And here's what he's saying today. I'm ready to give you the grace to work the lumps out if you're willing to let the potter's wheel spin again. I'm I'm ready to make you what I always wanted you to be. I knew what I wanted over your life before you were even born and I'm ready to do it if you're willing to give me the chance. I'm just wondering is there somebody here as we stand that will give the God, give God the chance to start the wheel again. Would you come right now? There's grace. There's going to be grace down here waiting on you. Just say, Pastor, I want the wheel to start again in my life. I, I want God to take my clay, add the water, start the spinning. This is beautiful. Keep coming. Keep coming. That's beautiful. Just step out wherever you're at and come right on down front and say, Pastor, I want God to start the wheel again in my life. I, I, I've, I've chased some things I thought would make me happy. I, I've chased some things I thought would make me feel important and significant and I just want the master potter to have his way to shape my life to to form me to make me to move oh can you feel the atmosphere changing I hope you can feel that I, I I'm beginning to feel goosebumps on my goosebumps it's it's more than just a spirit of expectation it's God smiling down and saying yes 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 See, hell thought they had you. Hell thought you would never come and say, start the wheel again, God. I want you to just lift your hands right now and say, God, start the wheel. Start the wheel. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to forgive us for every self-willed lump we've had in our lives. We ask you, God, right now in the name of Jesus to release the anointing from heaven that only you can release. Begin to mold me and make me, God. I, I come out of a family, God, that looked like a bunch of has-beens, but somehow, some way, you didn't forget the clay of Randy Hollis and you put me back on the wheel at 22 years old. Oh, come on, I feel it. I feel it. Go ahead, release that. Release it. Just go ahead. Speak it out right now. Jesus, use me. Come on, do it. Jesus, use me. Have your way in me. Come on, you need to verbally say it out loud. Have your way with me. I want you to be the master potter over my life. I want you to remold me and remake me and anoint me and bless me. Here it comes. Come on. Here it comes. You feel any touch of God on your life, just go ahead and give in to it right now. You feel any touch. You feel any touch. Just go ahead. Jesus, use me. Jesus, use me.